Hello, and welcome to Scuttlebutt, the war movie review podcast. We're happy to have you with us as we take a look at films from the dawn of cinema to today. We aim to provide a raw and unapologetic review of each film's cinematography, historical accuracy, and delivery. In the process of analysis, certain details will be revealed. These spoilers are only divulged to ensure a fair assessment of each film. Merry Christmas! We head back to the trenches this week to lay down our arms and join the Christmas truce celebrations of 1914 with Christian Carrion's 2006 historical drama, Joix Noel. As always, I'm joined by Mike A. Hello. Mike B. <laughs> yep. I can't pronounce French. And unfortunately, Nathan can't join us tonight because he happens to be on a sleigh crossing around the world. So, you know, if you get the reference, you might know who he is. So he'll be with us with some lime year. in his beard. He put some lime in his beard, and he's, he's posing. A Red Bull um, in his cup holder, a lime in his beard, and ready to go. Really quick, Nate, for Brian's sake, joyeux. That's it. Just say joyeux, Noel. Joyeux, Noel. Just go Noel. back to that and just say, jo- like, joy, you. Joyeux, joyeux. Noel. No, you don't have to put the accent on it. Just go, joyeux, Noel. Joyeux, Noel. There you go. I was... Last night, when uh, I wrapped this up, I was reading some about this, and I was just actually thinking about that. I was thinking about how Brian was going to pronounce this. Yeah, I was just like, we now are going to watch Joik's Nell or something. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> All you fuckers are bad at pronouncing shit. So, so uh, guys, what'd you think? You just said Joik's. I don't care. <laughs> Mike B., what did you think? <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so the the issue is... Years ago, I actually researched what actually happened during the Christmas truce of 1914, right? And there were obviously a lot of misnomers and things that were people were saying, oh, this didn't happen, this did happen, blah, 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 blah. And for the life of me, I cannot remember that, and I didn't have enough time to research that. But I will be able to kind of say things that I do remember, like the big key points what the film got okay and what it lacked on. So overall people that know nothing about what actually happened, this is an okay representation because a lot of people know, like in World War one, you hear about the Christmas truce. And if you're an American, you hear about Bella Wood, right? Those two big battles, those two big things, those events that happened. Um, the Christmas truce was one thing very early, very early. That's what we have to remember. And we'll talk about that. Um, Bella Wood, Yeah. Whatever later on, but, um, yeah, the film, in my opinion, like it, it tried to show a lot of what was going on along the entire line in, in one place because this this wasn't just like an isolated thing. It was it, it kind of happened along that line on the Western Front in fourteen, and um, I don't know. It's just it seems like the the publicity and the uh, the media like kind of focuses on this one you know particular place in the line where there's Scots, French, and Germans, and whatever. It's fine. Like, that's cool. But um, 
it was a lot more widespread than people thought. And then the, uh, the, uh, the repercussions, the outcome was actually touched upon in this film, which is okay. Um, but yeah, so overall it was okay. My, my initial opening statement, it was okay. What do you think, Michael? I thought it was for a PG 13 war movie, which those usually, um, are those, those kind of, it, it, those usually don't grab me very, very well. Uh, PG 13 war movies. And there's a lot of world war one PG 13 war films for some reason. But, um, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, versus history, that's a whole other thing, but just as a standalone, like its own kind of like movie, I thought it was pretty good. I thought all of the characters were really solid. I um I liked all the characters a lot. I thought they were written very well, um, and you know it uh, it made, I cared about what was going on, and uh, uh, so yeah, it's not like oh this is amazing, but I thought it was pretty good, you know, for a uh, fictionalized version of these events. I knew while I was watching, I'm like, okay, this isn't really what happened, you know. I haven't researched the actual Christmas truce, but I could just say like I know this is probably not how it went down. Um, uh, still, I thought it was it was well done for what it was. That's my thesis. Yeah, you know, I have to agree with both you guys, and um, I, I like how it begins. You know, uh, showing them like you know his children and everything, and how the empires at the time were cutthroating with each other. You know, and kind of the build up to that. And um, yeah, you know, as I was watching as well, I realized like this is an amalgamation of a bunch of different events put into one, you know, two hundred meter section of, of the Western Front. Um, but that doesn't hurt it in any way because like the more I watched it, the more I'm just like, I can't shit on this movie because it does exactly what it wants to do. It tells you about this incredible humanitarian event that occurred spontaneously, you know, and it just does a good job of it. You know, it's just, it's, in my opinion, it's really the best Christmas war movie, you know, which is kind of just an oxymoron in itself. Um, you know, Christmas comes up a lot in films, um, I think of uh, Battleground from 1949, the guys, the battered bastards of Bastogne. You know, they had to spend a Christmas uh, in Belgium that was pretty bad in 44. Um, but, you know, 30 years later, or earlier, it's just interesting to, you know, see what happened. And as Mike B. had mentioned earlier, you know, we're only five months into the conflict, a conflict that traditionally you would be home by the holidays. You know, it, it was, World War I was sold or thought to be as a quick war, you know, and the events of, August and September, uh, you know, the Marne and the race to the sea precluded that and made it that it wouldn't be a quick campaign. You know, it would be a very long period of time. And um, it's very similar to how the armies felt um, in North Africa between 41 and 43, you know, because uh, these guys didn't want to be there. There were places that they didn't want to be with a war that was too long that, you know, they didn't really know what was happening. It was before the real savagery of, you know, Verdun and, and the things later on, you know, the First World War, or Luz, or, or the really bad campaigns of Champagne of 15, 16. Um, so, you know, the war was, in a way, I'd say, a little bit of a novelty. I mean, it's horrible. You're fighting here, you know, but you, we all have more in common with each other than we really think, you know? And, and the one line that I really, like, summed it up was, uh, you're not living the same war as me you know, when he was talking to his higher command. And that's so true, you know, and especially for this era, because the militaries are so, you still have a very big, you know, what do you call it, upper class, that are the officer corps, you have the lower class, that are really the men. And so it's just very interesting to see that, you know, you're not in the trenches with me on Christmas Eve, shivering your fucking ass off, 
you know, you're behind the lines, wherever. So it it really does do what it attempts to do or show what it attempts to do. You know, it just it's, it's good. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I um, like I say, I thought it was uh, had a lot. Of, I, I, I liked all the characters a lot. Um, I think my favorite character was probably the French uh, lieutenant. Uh, I thought he was a very well-written character and the, all the actors too, like that, not only were the characters well done, but the actors were all really good. Yep. They, they, and, they brought uh, the sauce. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, that, that, that impressed me with it. Um, but, uh, the one part that I was kind of like, you know, I mean, I, I, like I said, the whole time I was thinking this probably isn't how it went down the pro- part where I was like, okay, this is very like, uh, as far as I know, far fetched is where the German soldier brings his wife to the the trenches yes that, 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 that <laughs> that's an issue that's, that's yeah yeah yep. that was like okay i was kind of you know yeah that's I, i'm gonna stick with it but you know that's 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 too much she's definitely <laughs> a know? plot device for sure you know like. right that seems so unbelievable yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like and i see why they did it but again it's funny because like the the, the movie as a whole really it makes, like, I can deal with it. You know, like you said, like, okay, whatever. I'll look the other way for a little bit. It, it, yeah. it, it, it It's a vehicle to get him from the rear lines back to the front, you know, and to see yeah. it again. So whatever. But, yeah, I, I, that's probably the biggest faux pas, I'd say, in the whole film. Right. Um, and then, like, once shit starts get going again, like, during the, the barrage and everything, he's having to, like, hold on to her. And it's like, this feels really out of place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And especially when he was like, well, if I go back there, they'll separate us. But if we're here, they won't. And it's like, motherfucker, do you know who you're talking to? Like, you're a POW. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, yeah. Put that guy in chains and give him with the other gray guys. Like, what's the woman doing here? Like, you right, know, yeah. you don't think the right. French are going to separate you two? So yeah, that simultaneously though, again, like I cared about her, you know, like I cared about that. Everything that was really presented in this movie, like I cared about. So it was kind of hard where I'm like, yeah, I can see that that, but like at the same time, from a movie perspective, I'm like, I want to see where this goes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just the funny thing. Cause it's like, you know, I know what you're doing, but I respect it and I respect mm-hmm. it enough just to be like, cool, you know, good job. Any other time, be like, what the fuck are you doing? This is stupid as fuck. But, like, you know, you, you get a pass because it, it just it makes the story so much better. And, you know, it just it brings that humanitarian side, you know, really to light. Um, and I really do like how they have the early juxtaposition of the attack and everything, you know, and uh, which is pretty well filmed, to be honest. You know, I like the, the French uniforms and everything. It was really cool to see early war. No helmets, you know, like they could have easily fucked it up and had Adrian's and Brody's and, and you know, all that shit. Well, they, um, they, they, they had some shit that we can talk about later, but, like, yeah, little details. But, like, um, uh, yeah, for the, for the macro level of, like, uh, the details, yeah, pretty good. Um, and at that point, the French had realized that the, um, what the hell is the term they call it? There, there's a special term for the, the, the shade of red of their trousers and whatever, but, like, uh, the iron blue um, tunics and overcoats and all that shit, and then the red trousers. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was very apparent very early on that that was not good. And that's why I liked, like, uh, a lot of their kepis were covered with these covers they gave them of the, like, Horizon Blue, which actually didn't start out to be, like, a blue color. They wanted it to be gray. But they were also getting some of the dyes from Germany before then, before the war broke out. And then they were like, okay, well, we're going to make a 
conglomeration of red, white, and blue. And it was funny because the red color was the one they were getting from Germany, like the the one the dye that they were using to dye their trousers. And <clears throat> so it became kind of a gray, like a blue and white color, like your, you know, my little kepi right here. And so that's why you see those covers on the kepis, right? And it was more earth tone than it was the iron blue and the red. And that it was really cool to see that because, yeah, late 14, there's going to be a couple guys that are going to have horizon blue or gray uniforms, whatever the hell they called them. But most of them are going to be wearing the uh, old school, like we were just talking about, the, the red and the iron blue with some modernization um, um, factors coming in. And that was really cool. They portrayed this in this film. Is like, yeah, it's still very early war. And they had the brass buckles. They had the black, uh, I'm sorry, the French specifically. We can talk about the Scots and everything. But like the French had the original black leather with the big brass buckle. They had all the early war gear in this, which is very cool. And it was very accurate to late 1914. Cool looking uniform. Yeah, um, it's just like, it's something you don't see. And again, they could have easily been like the hell of the First World War, shelling constantly and, you know, mines and like all, they could have really made it into a layer thing. And they kind of did, you know, say a few things that were off, like when at the end of the film, like you're going to Verdun. And it's like, that's a quiet sector. You're going to go live in a fort? Cool. Like, you know, that would be great. Yeah, yeah. Late 14. Yeah, that wasn't even a thing yet. Yeah. And you then know? Tannenberg as well, like, you know. Yeah, on the side of the train, it says Tannenberg. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, yeah, so that that's kind of like revisionism, not revisionism, but like um, mainstreamism. Twenty twenty. Yeah, you know yeah. where it's like these guys didn't know where the fuck they were going. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what it was gonna be because it was late fourteen. You know, it's like and let's like, use names they know. You know, like who's gonna remember that? Well, like, exactly. You're going to exactly. the Marne. Like, what the fuck is that? Yep. The river? Like, <laughs> you know, it's just not known well today. Um, but still, even Correct. that, I'll give it a pass. It's like, okay, you know, you use the name people yep. know. Good for you, you know? Yep. I wish you would have said champagne. That would be cool. But whatever, you know? It's the way it goes. Yeah. Um, uh, one thing that I was kind of... And it wasn't really clear until the actual truce started. Um, would, would would actual, like, you know, once uh, the lines have been drawn, would actual trenches German and then, you know, French or Scottish... I mean, was there ever a time where they were that close? They seemed very yes. close to each other. Yes. Okay. Wow. Uh, a lot of times they were 50 yards. They okay. said 100 in the film. A lot of times these lines were 50, 60, 70 yards away from each other. Okay. So the artillery, like in this film, was not this constant thing. It was, I think they portrayed that exceptionally well for early. It was there, of course. But it wasn't like this constant thing. And then when you start to get the constant artillery later on in 1915, the lines start to get farther apart because, okay. you know what I mean? But um, as far as at this point in the war, yeah, 50 to 100 yards, it's not unrealistic at all. Okay. That's what I was because I was like, because when I saw that, I'm like, man, they seem really close. And I thought, I'm not going to say that's inaccurate, though, because I don't know. So that's, yeah. Well, it's that's, funny because in 18, I'm sorry, Brian, one more thing. In eighteen, in nineteen eighteen, when the Americans got there, you see those the, those distances closing again to go from mm. four, five, six hundred yards or meters rather, back to the fifty to one hundred meters. So wow. yeah, 
It's very interesting. Yep. Mm-hmm. Brian? Yeah, no, it, it's cool because, you know, you always expect it to be like Omaha Beach in the Somme where it's like a fucking incredibly long run, you know. Yeah, and, and acres that was, of... Yeah, and that was true. You know, like, I love that in... Um, oh, fuck. Uh, what's the Kubrick film? Um, Paz of Glory. Paz of Glory, yeah. You know, that's that's awesome. I love it. And that, that did happen. But the early war, you know, is, is different. You know, every year of the First World War is completely different than the, the rest in certain ways. But there's a really good memoir uh, called Poilu, which is a, a translated memoir um, from Louis Barthas, who was a, he was a very interesting character. He was a communist, and then he was conscripted, and he, he ended up serving on the Western Front for four years. And this, this memoir is amazing. It's, it's a little tricky to read at times because it's translated from his diaries. But he talks about at some points in the early part of the war where the trenches are within grenade distance. So, like, you could just be, like, yep. walking along a trench and all of a sudden, like, there'll be a grenade attack, you know, where just grenades yep. land in your trench or you do vice versa. And uh, it's just crazy to think about that because we have this idea of, you know, you have this huge football field separating you. But that wasn't the case at the time. And even how the trenches were very, very primitive, which is correct, you know. Um, it, they The race to the sea, you know, the trenches are probably three or four months old at the most, you know. They did really yep. didn't mention where they were, but because the Brits are there, they're probably like in the middle of France, you know, because the the British were in the they, north. That sector then, would be more up towards Belgium. Yeah, like and, you know, right where this film takes place. Yeah, 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 like you know, east of the Somme, but northwest of the Marne. You know, it's because I don't know if people really know that, but it, it ended up being the Canadians, like in the very far north, around Yeps with the Australians and stuff, and then the Commonwealth, Yep, and then um, the uh, Commonwealth going down. If you look at the map of the Western Front, it looks like a, like a big rectangle for the German lines cut into the Belgium and northern France. So the left side of the rectangle would be where the Brits were, and the, the bottom line of it would be where the French were, really, to the Swiss border. That's and really and that with, that, with that, talking about this, is yes, the, the Western Front went from basically the Baltic Sea, right? Mm-hmm. Like the North Sea. The, the North Sea, yep. Down to Switzerland. And... When you look at the actual map, it obviously changes in those four years, but it goes, you know, 400, 500 yards. And then you look at this sector and it's 50 yards apart. And then it goes back to four or 500 and then a 100, you know, it, like it, depending on where you were, you were 50 to 60 yards from the enemy, like their actual trench line. And, um, this being very early, they, like you said, they portrayed it very well. The trenches were very hasty. It was, well, we're just going to sit here for for a little bit, and then we're going to advance, or they're going to advance, and then we'll just dig new trenches. Well, obviously that led, you know, it didn't work out that way, but like um, that's what they thought in 14. Again, you said five months. You know, the guns of August, right? So we're, we're at, you know, it kind of kicked off in July, but like really kicked off in August. And now we're in December of 1914. Well, it's very new. Everything's very new. And that's why like a great point, Michael, Uh, obviously like I love that because yeah, a hundred yards, nothing Mm -hmm. at that point, nothing. So crazy. Yeah. Yep. People usually don't think about that. And they touch on that a lot in the, in the movie with like the alarm clock going off. How they all know oh, yeah, about they, it, you know. And they're like, we're yep. used to that by now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, you're changing guard? And it's funny how people make assumptions, you know, and how everything in a military world has to be military relation, you know, because right. you know, whatever. So it's just, it, it's cool to see that, you know, in little things. And, yep. 
just uh, World War One is not what we think it is, you know, in the mainstream. It's not yeah. these no, huge, big, broad attacks not. all the time. Exactly, and it's um, it's it's very uh, v- extremely nuanced depending on what year where you were. Because again, the Western Front is one front out of like nine or ten that existed. You know, here I am in Gallipoli. Like big, <laughs> right, big fronts. You know, and mm-hmm. it's like World War One. Like they're portraying this, which actually happened, which is cool. But uh, it, it's it's like yeah, this is one tiny piece of what was going on in late 1914. And then you get escalated in 15. Yeah, Gallipoli happens. You know, the Dardanelles, that whole campaign happens. And Thanks, Churchill. <laughs> it wasn't just him. He gets blamed <laughs> for it, but, like, it wasn't just him. But, like, um, anyway, you know, and then it looks a lot different later on than what we see in Joyeux Noel, is we see the Kepis. We see the Pickelhauben. We see the, the visor caps. Like, you know, the early war shit... There's a lot of technical shit with the uniforms, which we can talk about in a bit. But, like, yeah, you're not going to see this modern warfare shit at this point. And they actually did that very well. So it was just, you know, for me being a helmet nerd, half of me was torn, like, oh, I don't get Seagull helmets. But the other half of me was like, oh, that's cool. And it's because it's so rare that you see, like, you know, modern armies, like with, you know, modern brass cartridges and things, not like, you know, in a Boer War or like a yes, whatever situation exactly. without helmets. You know, yep. so it was like, oh shit! Yep. It so it just really put that in there. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Mike, there is a like brass. There's like a steel plate inside some of those helmets or, or the hats, the French at least. Or am I wrong? Um, with that? that was that was an experimental kind of thing. Okay, they did it in 1915. Um, oh, it's so not going to be at like this transitional point. for their Adrian. They were like, how do we stop head injuries? Yeah, the, okay. the, in, in huh. like the Germans were doing the same kind of shit. They were experimenting with like. The gator detachment, like the the little thing yeah. you see with like the nose, like they're they're experimenting with like skull caps, right? That's mm-hmm. what the French had. It's called a skull cap, and that was not going to be at this point of the film. Mm-hmm. It's going to be in fifteen. Fifteen is when everything really started kicking off, like with heat. You know, mm-hmm. everything, everything that you think about the First World War that's fucked up and like brutal started in like mid 15 like late spring early summer of 15 and then it was just game on from there this is this is so um this film is portraying late 14 which is literally the best way i can describe it is the end of the old world the old school warfare and the uniforms and the combat style clashing with what is now new and so that's why you still see all the uniforms and all that shit. They have the LaBelle, they have the Gewehr 98, all that shit, all the new rifles, smokeless powder, small caliber, <clears throat> very accurate rifles. Um, but you're still seeing, and kind of the old, like, um, also the formalities, which is very important to where, like, you see uh, the officers are, are um, 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 communicating with each other. And it's like, okay, if the officers want to have a meeting, we're good. Nobody's shooting, right? That's kind of the formality. It's like, okay, they're all talking. Bam. And so it's like, again, it's like, it's this old world of shit combining with the new. And the cataclysm really happened in 15. This right here is right before that all happened. Mm. And so, yeah. 
I like that a lot about it, though. Like when they when the, the all the, the three officers all kind of come out to talk to each other at first, it doesn't seem like that. I mean, it, it is kind of like, you know, very tense and like what's going to happen, what's going on here exactly. Yep. But like they do it in a way to where they don't feel like it's a completely foreign concept, you know, Correct. which I I like that yep. about it to where they cut the guy comes up. They immediately like salute each other. Yep. And um, I love seeing that shit. That's just cool. Like the respect, you know. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, that's the old school coming up. Yeah. Their psyche had just not adapted to the war yet, you know, because again, like right. it had been such a, a short period of time. And a lot of these pre war officers, you know, if they were in the army before the war, because that's a big question, conscription and stuff, you know, um, they had maneuvers together. You know, like there's this funny yep. story I just read um, from a war correspondent memoir where they're in North Africa and they captured this Italian um, officer. And this is during the, the offensive of December of 1940, the first real big British one. And this Italian officer says in like very good English, like, are you from blah, blah regiment? And this guy's like, yeah, I am. And he goes, well, and then he named his commander. He's like, what do you mean? He goes, I used to hunt trap with them all the time. So they ended up taking yep. this guy to the officer, like to the HQ. They got drunk that night. And they had to wake him up in the morning and say, by the way, you're still POW. Because, like, you know, again, he was just a, he was an adjutant or, like, you know, a, a attache or something. And he was in England for, like, five years in the 30s. Yeah. And he just made all these friends. And so these things happened and they happen again. Uh, so A movie that really is – that, that uh, really touches on that, which we've talked about, is The Grand Illusion. Yeah. And uh, that's really what the whole movie is about, is about that, like, respect that these guys have for each other mixed in with trying to kill each other. Um, so – that's another one that we'll have to talk about later. For sure, yep. A yep. gentleman's war, you know? <laughs> um, this film actually did a good job of, like, saying, you know, when the um, the German lieutenant and the French lieutenant are talking, and they're, you know, the German lieutenant says, hey, are you from this street? And he goes, yeah, how did you know that? You know, again, Europe is very small. Right. Okay? It's, like, basically, like, the state that I live in is the size of Germany, right? Which is a country, <laughs> right? It's It's huge. And in, in Europe, it's like before there's conflicts and wars going on, yeah, of course, Germans are going to go to France. French people are going to go to Germany. They're going to, like they show in the film, and so they know, and that's another thing that like... They speak each other's languages. Yeah. Exactly, and they it breaks down the barriers even more mm-hmm. so to the uh, guys sitting in, which is also alluded to, it wasn't, it wasn't like pounded into your head, which I actually kind of respect, but like the whole of these old guys sitting here making us do this. Mm-hmm. It was, it was alluded to, it was, it was suggested, but it was never like pounded into your head. No, you know, it was not pads of glory territory when it came to that. It, it right, was just right. kind of presented. It's like, this is what happens. Not like, it's, look at it. You know, it's present. It's presented as like, this is how, what happens. But like, of course it does. You already know that, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Which is, right. And, and that's the thing is like, um, and then when you get these guys that are, you know, hey, can you give these letters to these people, like, get through the Red Cross, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, because they all know, at that point, they realize, oh, yeah, we're we're pawns. Like, they know that. Like, they get that. And they understand, that, like, you know, the propaganda of, like, all oh, the Germans are the Huns, which is a funny propaganda story in itself. But, like, anyway, um... They're the Huns. They're they're, they're subhuman. They're they're fucking barbarians, whatever. And then they get to see them, and they're like, yeah, they're really not. And um, so 
to, to tie some historical accuracy from what I know of the actual Christmas truces, plural, that happened um, in this time period, yes, they actually did interact with one another, like like they showed in the film. It wasn't to that level per se, from what I've researched and whatever, and from what I've... They played football, right? They are heard soccer that one many for times. Americans. Yeah. Yep. They played football. They played. Uh, they, they exchanged FIFA fourteen photographs. <laughs> <laughs> Except the Argentinians weren't there. Messi. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. But no, it's like they played football. They exchanged photographs. They, you know, whatever they were trying on Picklehauben and Kepis and all, like whatever. Oh shit! And then afterwards, what they showed in this film was actually. They should have, in my opinion, gone a little bit farther on this because they chose them post the armistice and whatever. Yeah, we have to shoot each other. We know this. They were shooting up in the air. This was recorded to have happened from the Germans, the the Brits, Scots, uh, and the French. Like, the guys they knew, there were assaults right after Christmas, right? They were coming full on across no man's land. And the attacking force, which was, I believe, I'm going to get called on this. I believe it was the Germans that were coming across to try and take the trenches. And the Allies shot in the air, and the Germans were not shooting at them either. They were shooting up in the air, just making noise. This was discovered by some of the guys that weren't there for the truce, weren't present for that, but like on both sides were like, what, what are you doing? Why are you not killing them? Which was alluded to in the film, right? That one Scottish commander, or British, he was speaking with a British accent, but like, um, going, hey, no, shoot him. But in real life, it was, shoot them. Because it was like a huge assault. And they weren't doing it, and that's when they started going through these letters and these things, and like realizing, okay, shit took place that we don't approve of in the high command. Not gonna, it's not good. And these guys were, again, they were, they were, they were re- reassigned to different areas on both sides because they're like, we can't afford to take this many guys and just try them for treason and kill them, right? And so they were moved to different sectors, and it was like a dishonorable thing. It was like a shameful thing to these commanders, but they didn't seem to give a shit, to be honest. Like, in my research, they, they were just like, whatever, fuck it. And, um, I mean, a lot of them didn't make it through the war, but it was a, like, like you said earlier, Brian, it was a moment of humanitarianism. It's like, we're people. Okay. It's Christmas. We both celebrate that. We know that. So let's do this. And then, yeah. What I really liked was the interactions in this, this film. Like, you know, once they started Mm -hmm. the war to each other and how, you know, people don't always understand each other languages wise, maybe, you know, the officers do cause they're, they're cultured individuals, you know, they have yep. the ability to have gone to school and learn that, but the bakers and you know, the regular layman, how are you going to communicate? So like the guys kissing the photos, uh, you know, just like little things like that. Yep. But what I really like too, and you know, I'm not trying to be religious at all, but you know, at the time mass was always spoken in Latin and then they yes. would say it again yep. in your home language. So you always kind of had an understanding of Latin. 
And that's mm-hmm. why when they had the mass, I thought it was really cool that it's like, you know, you might speak Absolutely. Like, like you might be a poor illiterate French guy that speaks your dialect of French. You might be a poor little German guy that speaks your dialect of German, but you all go to mass and you all understand this colloquial thing and you can all get that. So I thought that was really cool. And I, I, I could see how like maybe the priest was a little annoying at times, whatever, but I feel like overall it was very good and that was really cool. You know, you thought the priest character was annoying. I could see how you could paint him like that. You know, like like kind of like mm. he'd like the feet, like the allied female character, whatever. But they did a really good job of just having him be like, you know, here. I, I just feel like in any other film, he would just, you know, it wouldn't work. But okay, again, I, actually, I actually didn't see that either. Like I, I'm, I'm with Mike on this. Like I didn't, I didn't think that he was annoying at all. I think he could have been a lot. Yeah, more. what's mm-hmm. I mean? You, he, okay, you yeah. could have painted him like that in the picture. Like, but I feel like the, the way he does things is great. And, and also and how, it, like, the... It, mm-hmm. Yep. Like, when he takes them through the long way through the trench. Like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in a way, oh, yeah, you can yeah, see yeah. that's a little hokey. But it works really well in this thing. It's funny, like... One also... Mm-hmm. Let's just finish it. The, the filmmaking that they use in this, again, really only works for what they're doing, which I love. You know, it's like... It's this great bubble of, you know, it works well here, but it wouldn't work well, I think, in any other production. Maybe. Um... Because, like, you know, there was one good line that the priest said when he, the, I don't know if it's the bishop or somebody wearing purple in the church, right? Um, oh, yeah. Because he goes, this is the most important mass I've ever, I've mm-hmm. ever spoken. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, a very powerful line. Of like yeah. if, if, if you understand, like, this guy's a man of God, right? He believes he's a man of God and, and he's a good person. He's been through the shit and all that stuff. And the way he's portrayed is he goes, that's the most important mass that I think I've ever spoken. And I would agree, mm-hmm. you know, and like that. It, but yeah, it's um, it also shows like how the church can be very swayed by political um, political notions and things of that time. Right. And can Which be is used. Like- yeah. Which is why it shows him walking away from the cross as he uh, as right. he leaves, you know, because yeah. he figures it out. He's like, "Well, that's not no." Like, yeah. he's he's a good person. Like, he's a really good person. He believes in his religion, and he believes like he's a man of Christ, right? Like, if you believe yeah. all that stuff, and yeah, to to see that, and then he's just like, "Oh, well, it's it's being manipulated." Like this yeah, whole right. everything's being manipulated, and. I like that because uh, there's a lot of subtleties in this film, a lot of them, and I I do appreciate the hell out of that. Like it's mm-hmm. it's because usually you either go one or the other. You go, oh, I'm gonna punch you in the face with this, and you're gonna understand whatever, or it's just not there. And like, what are we doing? But like, <laughs> it was very subtle, and like, uh, if you, if you see it and you're looking for it, you'll know. Mm-hmm. Um. Absolutely. Um, and uh, talking about uh, the officers and like all the communications stuff like that, like Brian, what you're saying, I do like how uh, the officers, when they do communicate, like it's kind of random. Like sometimes they'll speak in French, sometimes they'll speak English, and uh, it's just whatever they're kind of feeling in that moment. That's that's always what I've noticed with people who are you know bilingual or speak differently. They'll always still kind of just like switch on and off without really any reason. Well, it's yeah, what it's you're really talking about too, and like your 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 level of proficiency with the language, mm-hmm. you know, and because French was a language that was spoken by, it was like the language, like Russian mm-hmm. spoke French, uh, Brits spoke spoke French, uh, Germans, it, it was like 
okay, yeah, I'm, I'm in this class. I, I can speak French, yes. And um, right. the French weren't expected to reciprocate per se, but it was still good for a French person of decent class to learn English or German, you know. Mm-hmm. And they actually portray that very well because, yeah, they go back and forth, like you're saying, mm-hmm. from English to French and sometimes German. And it's like, yep, yeah, and it's whatever the conversation can be spoken best with. Mm-hmm. And they portray it very well. So Yeah, uh, traditionally, yeah. Just get um, French is the language of the royalty and the nobility. You know, and like, yes. for example, in England, in the medieval times, the, you know, kings and queens spoke French. And then commoner tongue was English. You're fucking a poor piece of shit. You spoke this amalgamation of Anglo-Saxon languages that, you know, because yep. English has so many different roots from just, you know, people making a language and, and not... The Nordic really languages, yeah, it's it's tribal, it, yeah. While French is a very, you know, its own thing. And so traditionally it was always, oh, well, are you a cultured individual? You will thus, you know, speak French. So, And that was especially true in the late 19th and early 20th century, which is yep. shown in this because, yeah, it's like, I mean, again, the, the Russians, like the, uh, um, the Romanovs, they spoke French formally. Yep. Like when they were having important meetings and stuff, they spoke French. They're Russians. They speak Russian, but they spoke French. Yeah. Even and to so, the point too, where the Imperial Russian army got Moise Nagants originally from French arsenals and they got yeah, they they all. pistols yeah. Yep, yep, from French exactly. arsenals because where do you go for the best things in the world? You go to the most cultured nation and empire in the world, which at the time was France. You know, from and the also late 1700s. The, France to, had a shitload of money and in, in, uh, invested a shitload in Russia, which didn't have anything to do with them getting involved. Eh, in the first you know, what, are you, what are you talking but, about? So, but anyway, uh, that's this guy that's likes this story. guy. This guy likes that guy. And these two people hate everybody. Oh, fuck. Well, <laughs> France had a it. shit fucking ton of money invested in Russia mm-hmm. when the First World War broke out and whatever. We can get we can get to that topic. Hey, Nicholas, baby, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, Nick, Nick, what are you doing, buddy? Come on. I hear Poland's you know, great this time of year, you know? Yeah, let's go to East, East Prussia. Prussia. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Go to yeah. East Prussia. Don't think nothing of it. Don't Come worry on. about it. You know, 10 kilometers, 2,000 kilometers, you know, Berlin's not that far away. There's this town called Tannenberg. I, I tell you, you can hold that <laughs> son of a bitch. You can take that. Don't worry about it. Nothing. Oh! You, you get a port. We get a port. It's good for everybody, you know? It's good for everyone. <laughs> hey. No, everybody, everybody's a winner here. You know? So, And also, we want to return on our investment when you get the chance. I didn't know that yeah, Joffrey... It's okay, Nick. It's I, okay, Nick. I, I forgot that Joffrey's from North Jersey, but, you know. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, it's basically... That's basically Joffrey. Well, no, because Nicholas wasn't... a cocksucker like him like he wasn't an asshole that's his problem like it was his fault he wasn't an asshole he was just a nice dude but anyway um we're getting into shit but like um weak men create hard times (laughs) (laughs) strong men also cry oh (laughs) oh my god Um, that goddamn chinaman stole my legs in korea anyway (laughs) you what if i what if i what if i hit a j uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. What makes a man? Mr. Oh, Lenowski? that's the little basket achievers award. Oh, uh, don't touch it, please. Yes. Yeah, so uh, yeah, yeah. Culturally, uh, racially, is very cool. Uh, yeah. 
I dig it. <laughs> oh my fuck god, I love it. that movie. Oh, uh, so but anyway, um, so getting back to this, what the fuck are we? What was I babbling about before? Well, just you know, alliances <laughs> and things and, and stuff, and how you know, yes, the alliances. Use, yeah, people will use anything to get your population to kill the shit out of those guys. You know, because the end of the day, right. the, These guys from Scotland, these guys from France, and these guys from Germany, they didn't start the war. They didn't care about shit. You know. It's the politicians or the, uh, the upper echelons, like everyone involved, and you know everyone fights a different version of the war. So it was just very cool, like we were saying earlier, just to see that top-down progression and stuff. You know, and also you have so many things going on in the in the West too at this time. Like they were talking about the Belgian atrocities the Germans committed. That was a very big thing that later on it proved to be mostly propaganda. You know, so you have that going on. Oh yeah, there was a couple England isolated and incidents, and, and it was like that's yeah. where the Hun, the Huns. Yep. Yep. So I actually don't. Could you elaborate on that? Because that sounds very interesting. Cause I, I don't really know where that started exactly. Let me find so. the article. Yeah. It was. Um, go ahead and talk. I'm going to find. Yes, yeah. but no. It's just you know. It just goes to show how you know. Um, who is the real enemy? You know, we just have so much in common. Why are we killing each other and being our brains in? You know, the further you are from the front, the less you understand the problems. So yeah. Well. Uh, one thing I did <clears throat> like about it, how even though after you know they've done this, you know the Christmas truce and all that, but uh, as it kind of progresses, the the truce, as it were, like some little things start to seep into where it's like, okay, well, we still are like enemies. Like the German says something about like, oh, well, when we invade, you know, Paris or whatever like that, and uh, he doesn't say it in a way to where like he's trying to right. not necessarily be an asshole. He's just saying it because like that's what he's programmed to to think, you mm-hmm. know. And um, he just says it as, like, a matter-of-fact way. Um, and there's little things like that. It's like there, there's a part where, um, uh, you know, the uh, the guy who was he, – he crawled out there in no man's land, and he went into a hole. Yep. And then uh, once the truce happens, the German guy is, tries to offer him a bottle, and he's – even though the truce is going on, he's like, don't touch me. Get away. You know, like, okay, fine. We're not shooting, but, like, still. Also holding a rifle that definitely was not even designed at that time. But no, we'll get into that. <laughs> we'll get into IMFDB later. But um, uh, so the uh, the Hun thing actually hmm. was very earlier than this, hmm. and it was resurrected during. Was the it Franco-Prussian? Was it that older? No, no, nineteen hundred. Oh, interesting. So um, in nineteen hundred, uh, Kaiser Wilhelm II, the, the the best leader or whatever, you know, the crippled little fucking wannabe. Um, Gave a speech to German soldiers heading off to fight Chinese rebels in the Boxer Rebellion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, he goes, he goes, mm-hmm. right. And so for you guys that are listening to this, it's it's a fun thing. Quote, should you encounter the enemy, he will be defeated. No quarter will be given. Prisoners will not be taken. Whoever falls into your hands is forfeited. Just as thousand years ago, the Huns... Under the king Attila made a name for themselves, one that even today makes them seem mighty in history and legend. May the name German be affirmed by you in such a way that China, that cho- uh, no Chinese will ever dare to look cross-eyed at a German. All right, that's his quote. So he was comparing the German soldiers going off to fight these guys as Huns, Attila the Hun, right? Like, take no quarter or Blah, blah, blah. And so then the British, I, I know it was the British that started the shit, like the propaganda, were 
you know, after the whole Belgian propaganda thing, like there were a couple incidents of German soldiers doing fucked up things. A couple, like isolated incidents. Because people don't realize that the German military is very, very disciplined. And if they find out about this shit, they will fucking deal with it. Okay, so things happened. Okay. It, it, it got to like be, oh, they bayoneted babies and whatever. It's like, well, that wasn't actually official, whatever. They, they did some fucked up things as civilians in a very small level. And then the Brits, when they got involved, reluctantly, by the way, um, because the Brits and the Germans are very good friends with the royal family. Oh, weird. Everybody's but, um, related. Right, exactly. And so when they got involved, they were like, well, the Germans, they're bayoneting babies in Belgium. They're the Huns. The Huns almost took over Europe. Oh my God, the, it, you know, it's a propaganda thing. So, but yeah, it was, um, <laughs> they just threw out Wilhelm II's words in his mouth and made it a propaganda campaign. And they successfully won because most of the fucking allies or Entente Powers called them the Huns. And <laughs> it's like, well, they're, they're German soldiers. Like, they're, yeah. I never would have guessed that, that that was the origin. You know, I, I would yep. have thought that it was like from, you know, some, again, something from 14 or, or 15, but that's very interesting. It actually has its basis in Germany during, of all things, the Boxer Rebellion. Um, right, in 1900. Um, yep. Which is and fascinating, it's, it's, by the way. Well, it's just, yeah, it's propaganda. And I did learn that in my history class uh, for World War One in college because my history professor was absolutely fucking amazing. Hmm. And I did learn that. And it was like, when I learned that the first time, I'm like, oh my God, it makes so much sense. That's very interesting. You know right? what I mean? It's you fucked know. up. And yeah. So but that's, you never that's know where the, the real the, root of things are, you know? <laughs> right. That's where the term the Huns come hmm. from. Interesting. So Attila's so. turning in his grave. It's like, oh, they're comparing me to that cripple. God damn it. <laughs> right. These guys were nothing compared to my fucking warriors. Nothing. Yeah, right. You know? So yep. But uh, yeah, other, so that's where that comes from. One other thing I did like to see was that when they were, um, you know, removing all the bodies and the remains and stuff, how, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of showed the different cultures and how each nation dealt with their dead differently. Like with the Germans, you know, they, they break the dog tag and they put it in the guy's mouth, you know, and then like the French, they take the whole dog tag off and stuff. And I thought that was interesting. It, it wasn't yeah. just like, they're all bodies. They're all, you know, they approached that whole scene in a, in a specific way. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, exactly. There, there were there were a lot of like really good details they got right, like yeah. small, really really weird details, and there were just some details that were very obvious that got overlooked, and it's just like what the fuck are you doing? You know, I also from a just production standpoint, I thought the the look of it was really good. You know, it yeah. looked really good. Absolutely, um, all the shit, yeah, all of the the uniforms and everything like that. The trenches were all like looked really really good, and they were photographed really well. Um, so yeah, so, uh, in terms of just a filmmaking point, I think that, uh, they showed a lot of the shit off really well. You can tell they gave a shit about what they were doing. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. And this is 2006, right? Yeah. Uh, well, 2005 five or something. And then yeah. six, it was commercial released. So okay. uh, it won at Kings. Yeah. Around that time. Yeah. And yeah, they, 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 they tried to tell the story and they, yeah, a lot of the like super dumb technical shit was wrong but like i get it it's 
the internet was like brand new then like not brand new but like you know like yeah and like how many sources online could you find at the time that's what i mean like it's yeah. you have to know somebody and back when windows had like a gray background you know <laughs> uh, a turquoise background oh sorry yeah <laughs> well we, yeah windows ASL? i mean dude xp was like the best but mm-hmm. I remember rocking 2000, 98, 95. Yeah, I remember that shit. Oh. Good stuff. Gray. Yep. We're old, Brian. I can tell, yep. And I, <laughs> I would just, not gray, I would just get on LimeWire and destroy computers, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, you, you were a LimeWire. You Lime Do, Did you ever have Kazaa? No. <laughs> I've never even heard of that. <laughs> it existed up there in the Midwest, day. Eh? No. <laughs> Oh, no, no, because I yeah. was a lot more than the Midwest, you know. You better believe her. But, yeah, so, the okay, let's talk about the interaction. And uh, the guy is coming out, and, yeah, it's like at first, from what's recorded in actual history, like what actually happened, a lot of it got deleted and fucking gone. But, like, um, yeah, they just kind of came out and were like, hey, Merry Christmas, you know fucking one day and they did that thing they, they sat down and they talked even though they couldn't speak the language you could still do body language they um and there, there were some pictures that survived and the, the very famous ones of the guys like the uh the guys were in the Fickelhauben and then like the, the the Brits were in their shit and um and then you see a couple of pictures of like Brits wearing the Pickelhauben Cause like they're so fucking funny, and they're like, hey, you know, hey. That's one this. thing that uh, I see a lot from like footage from World War One, or like when yeah. they take prisoners, they'll like jokingly take their hats off and put them on, or something like that. Yeah, because they, they just couldn't. Nobody knew why they were wearing a fucking hat with a spike on it. <laughs> it's like a, it's a <laughs> Napoleonic like thing. It's like very mm-hmm. old school, and it became decorative and whatever, and like. That's why Obviously, I bought my pickle helm because it's fucking it's cool. Like you know, it's like that's, that's well, right. Originally, like. originally those things were designed to uh, for infantrymen to deflect saber blows from the head because mm. oh, if you hit huh. if you hit that that spike with the curves and everything that's got on it with a saber on a horse or whatever, hmm. it's going to deflect and kind of go down and not hit the head. Hmm. Right. That's okay. the original reason for that spike, and. Um, little outdated in the First World War, but nobody knew that <laughs> shit. The French were in kepis. The Brits were in berets and service dress caps, you know? like Those uh, those pickle hot, those they're not steel, are they? No, they're, they're boiled, boiled leather. Right, um, that's what I mean. They're, they're rock yeah. hard. Um, so they also, are hard, but they're not like steel hard. Yeah. And also, no, too, no, Christ. They, they had mostly covers on. I don't remember seeing a pickle hum without a cover. Yeah, um, so when when you went to the when you went to the front, um, every time you went to the front, if you were on campaign, you have a cover on your pickle haba, right? Mm. And the numbers, this is a technical error that they did in the film. The numbers were not like on a patch that were on the front. I know why they did that for the film because the costume designer was like, "Oh, you just have to get these on as fast as possible." No, they would actually have. So the red numbers were for active duty units, right? Mm. And they would actually just be sewn straight on, like the actual numbers themselves, sewn straight on to the cover, worn like that. Reserve units would have green letters, right? 
or like reserve or like, you know, um, not frontline units would have green numbers. And then in 1915, like very early 15, late 14, the active units that were in the red were like, well, shit, the green is less visible. And so in 15, all the numbers that you're going to see on the pickle halving covers are going to be green. Hmm. But like very early on in 14, yeah, you're going to see the red numbers for the like active units, like the, the regular army units. And, um, but then they went to green and then in mid 1915, they started taking the, uh, the, the spike off because well, they, was... the, they have the trench model that has a vent and then you could take the spike off. Yeah. The 1915. Yeah. Pop it off. And, um, it was also steel or iron rather iron, uh, fittings instead of brass. Cause they needed the brass for other things. So they made yeah. steel fittings with gray, the 1915 version of the pickle halba, and then the Stahlhelm came out in late 1915, and they started replacing it. But you still see uh, Pickelhauben being worn by German units through mid-1916 because it was all the supply thing, like, you know, all that stuff. So, um, But in this film, though, yes, they have the covers on, and they have the red numbers, which are on a patch. It's not correct. Literally, the covers are correct, but, like, they would just be, like, the numbers would just be sewn on to the cover the itself cover. and not, not this big square patch that you can see very obviously in the film. Now, yeah. um, so. if the covers weren't on, though, it's interesting because, um, you know, there were 32 different states in Germany. And wherever yep. the unit came from, they would have a different shield on the front. So they literally had yeah, 32 often. different shields. Yep. And also, they had cockades that would go on the, um, yep. the chin straps, and they were all different. And I only know this because my pickle helm comes from the state of Baden. And it took five fucking years to find the stupid yellow and red cockade to go on the helmet. Yep. You know, and it's, it's incredible all the different diversity that they had. Yeah, in, in peacetime, it's fine. Oh, yeah, it's great. In peacetime, it's fine. Mm-hmm. But in wartime, they were like, fuck. And that's why they started just mm-hmm. issuing the Prussian cockade with mm-hmm. the German, like, red, white, and blue. Or red, I'm sorry, red, white, and black mm-hmm. cockade. Because they were like, what? Yeah. okay, if you got the Wappen mm-hmm. uh, from Saxony or Bavaria... Or, 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 you know, Braunschweig or whatever. That's mm-hmm. fine, but, like, we're not going to issue that shit. We can't do that. Yeah, it, it's very... Um, it, it's so interesting, like, the actual... Because, like, that was the thing is, like, the U.S. By the time they got in there, the French and the, and, and the other Entente people had been like, well, yeah, we, we know what what unit we're fighting against or, like, where they're from based on their pickle hobble with the Vapen on there. Mm-hmm. And also on their um, um, Feldmützen, like the the, the, the the chef's looking hat, they have the German cockade on the top and they have their state cockade on the bottom, right? So they got two oh. bullseyes, basically. Like on the red stripe? Like, yeah, yeah. But the red okay. stripe was the, yeah, the 1910 model. Like a lot of them would have a camouflage band. But like, yeah, your, your cockade, okay. your, your actual state cockade would be on that band. Uh, I mean, okay. I can go get these things, but like, um, yeah. So you got the, the German, um, uh, cock it up here. And so that actually passed the, uh, uh, pickle halba being worn with the cockades. Like you're talking about on the chin strap bales. Um, that was actually another way that they could tell, okay, this unit's from Saxony, this unit's from Brandenburg, this unit's from fucking, you know, East Prussia, whatever. Um, they could tell by that. So the Germans started covering those things up. 
mm. in like well, sixteen. They didn't want to... <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and yeah. And didn't the, the artillery have a ball instead of a spike? On their pickle hobbit, yeah. Yep. yep. And were there any other yep. variations to that as well? Or because that's the only one that well, I Well there there were there were like the the the, the um the cuirassiers, like the uh, the cavalry guys, like the or mm-hmm. the ulans, they would have oh, yeah. a pickle halba with a fucking square on the top. Oh, really? Again, huh. made to deflect huh. other cavalry saber blows while you're on a horse, you know. Um, so yeah, the ulan pickle halba would have a giant square that was angled down to the right, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. Yeah. And, and it was weird, yeah. And that's different than like the lobster tail pickle hums that I've heard about. Like the right, really lobster tails are metal. And stuff and those were those, yeah. those are made out of iron, and uh, those the were big braided a lot chin of, straps and stuff. And yep, decorative for the most part. But the uh, a lot of the cavalry guys, like the cuirassiers, who were wearing steel breastplates during World War One, mm-hmm. um, very the, early the, on, the, the they would guys, wear those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they, they'd wear those, and then they realize that bullets go right through them. And it's just <laughs> weighted, and yeah, it's just... Yeah, I want to go back in time and grab one of the Berthiers. I'm just going to say that now. <laughs> one of the Curacera ones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, carbine, but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, 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 and so like in this film, they actually portrayed it correctly. Like the 93rd Infantry Regiment, um, I actually... Let me go see where they're from really quick. Again, it's just really cool to see, you know, because late World War One is all gray and khaki and stuff like we had just talked about a few weeks ago all quiet in the western front and it has nothing like the depth of uniforms that this does and even you know this does a good job at early war it's very general but like in reality like we've been talking about last you know 10 minutes like it's just crazy all the colors and shit and i mean it would have been fucking awesome if the new all quiet started out looking like this you know yeah right if they wanted it to go you know right throughout the whole war 93 was actually a reserve regiment cool um but anyway uh yeah, so what happened is, like, you, so in 1918, you're going to see uniforms from 14 being worn. That's what they had, right? So you, you see that um, late war German is actually a lot harder to do correctly as far as, like, living history and all that shit than early war. Because early war, yeah, you got the 1910 um, Blusen, and then, you know, the 19. 19- 1014, which is like you get the Brandenburg cuffs and your buttons might be subdued. Okay. That's like 14 and 15. And then in 15, the uh, the Febbluza comes out with the uh, Reseda Green collar. No pockets in the front. It's not no buttons, you know, all that shit. And then it gets more complicated from there on. But like they issued that shit throughout the entire war. And the German uniforms in this film. They actually, it was funny because they had a lot of the 1910 uniforms, which is correct, with the cuffs, you know, the, the red piping, which red was actually their piping for infantry at that point in the early World War I. What did uh, it change the white? Cha- uh, 17. Is there a reason for that? or I don't know exactly. Because red became artillery. Uh, correct. correct. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, but like at the beginning of the war, it was red piping for infantry. Does it have to do and with maybe the regimental number? Or we'll know because I, 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 I don't know. Would have the, oh, yeah, I don't know. I, um, I, I, I've actually, I, I've asked that question before, and I have never, never gotten a straight answer as to why it went to white. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just, I don't know at this point. 
If you happen um, to know the answer to this question, please send us a message at 69 Washington yes. Way. <laughs> <laughs> send us a telegram. 1600 Pennsylvania <laughs> Avenue, Washington, D.C., United yep. States. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so that, 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 that did change. And in this film, they have red piping, which I, I appreciate. Because I was like, oh, they're going to have white on the shoulder straps. And they didn't. And that was good. Because in 14, infantry is all going to be red. And they had that piping everywhere. And it's like, okay, cool. They had the brass buttons. And it's like, okay, yeah, on the 10 and the 1014 uh, series uniform, you're still going to have all these buttons. They might be painted. But in 14, they're not going to be painted. That was like February through March of 15. That started to come down. They're like, you got to paint your fucking buttons, paint your belt buckle, blacken your fucking leathers, you know, all that shit. That came down in like 1915. And, and it's interesting, um, too, just to talk about everything, you know, with the film. It's just like this, you know, after the Christmas truce, January, February of 15, you're in the yep. war till the end. This is not going to be a quick campaign. Oh, know, yeah. Like, like the, yep. the the honeymoon is over. Like, even if you could say that, like the reality really, like we mentioned earlier, you know, the, all the bad stuff of the war really starts in 15. And that's because I think this this people were locked into the fact that we're in this. We're in a death struggle now. You know, it's just, it's not going to end. It's not going to, only arms are going to end this, this fight, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it really just show for, for, for all the sides, you know, helmets, like you're saying, painting, you know, buttons and things. That's, that's interesting. Cause that's an army that's like, okay, we have to change our ways. We have to adapt yep. to this new reality. And here mm-hmm. we are. And, you know, and really the Christmas truce is the, is the death of, you know, Wow. Why are we fighting? Why are we here? And then, and bam, then that's it. Because fucking buttons, so that some guy in a ghillie, some guy in a, like, a fucking you know canvas suit doesn't shoot you in the face. Like, right. You know? And in, in 1915, and subsequently, they tried. Like the, the the truce tried to be a thing, but the commanders were like, "Nope, no fucking way." If you do that, it, it didn't happen. After 14 was the last time that that actually happened, where it was like, "All right, everybody's gonna come out." We're, we're calling a ceasefire for 24 hours or however the fuck long they said. We're, nobody's going to be shooting each other. Let's just fucking relax. But that was a problem because uh, the high command on all sides who found out about this was like, oh, shit, if they don't want to kill each other enough and they're actually going to be, if this is possible, that's not good. So we need to up the propaganda. We need to up the ante on making these people think that these other people are just going to fucking kill them at, you know, whatever. And it was everybody. They upped the ante a lot after this. So yes, it's a beautiful human, human thing, right? But the fallout was taken by these idiots that control the wars, I guess the countries. And it was taken as like, no, that's not going to fucking happen again. You know, we need to make them hate more, 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 more. Because there, there wasn't like a remember Pearl Harbor. It was like, oh, a Serbian guy shot an Austrian, like, you know, mid-ranking uh, crown prince. And now, as an Englishman, I'm going to kill Germans. Well, I mean, that's so, just kind of what how it... I mean, that's just like, you yeah. know, England and France would just go to war sometimes. You know? I mean... Oh, the, oh yeah, but there was... For, before... Mm-hmm. But, like, that's just how, like, war was. It's like, okay, the war happens, you know? Yeah. yeah it wasn't like... We're telling yeah. you... These guys are bad. Yep. They're right, horrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like, that's really like, if you really want to get into it, that's what the 
commoners were told. And then it turned into, we haven't told them enough that they're bad enough. So we have to tell them more that they're bad. Yeah, up the ante. Yep. Okay. And then, yeah, these guys are bayonetting fucking babies in Belgium. Uh, These guys are doing this. It's like, yeah. That mm-hmm. so it escalated a lot. Um, because like we were saying, like you're only five months into the war at this point, and there's yeah. people that are still like somewhat sane. Mm-hmm. They've experienced death, they've experienced the war, but like it's new. And then, yeah, if you go from 1914 Christmas to 1918 Christmas, even though the war had ended at that point, it's like the carnage. It, like you can't come back from that and the world has not that's and, the and problem it, and in those four years how different of a world it was you know right i mean you have american troops spending christmas in siberia <laughs> like you know it's just so insane when you really want to you know talk about it and how much it changed the world and this really was like you mentioned mike the the death of the old old world and I like how they alluded to that, like, you know, with the kids and with even the photos yep. from the turn of the century. I thought that was really interesting, you know, because, again, people view yep. history as black and white. But no, these amazing color photos were made in the 1890s, early 1900s, you know, in the early and They're people like us. Exactly. They're people like all yeah. three of us. Like, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're people. They were people. Like, it, it, I, th- I, think, I think when you get into black and white, people get disconnected because they're like, ah, it's, it's so old. That's so long ago. It seems like another uh, world. Yeah, right, exactly. And mm-hmm. and it's people. They're just people like us. Mm-hmm. And and whoever's listening, like, yeah, people existed for a long time. And um, unfortunately, and fortunately, this kind of shit can happen. This big conflict. Of, they're bad. But also what's good is people are still, um, God damn, I'm, I'm bla- I just had the word in my head. People are still cognizant enough to also realize m- maybe there needs to be a really good reason why I want to kill you, you know? And so I hope, I hope, I hope that gets to a point where it's like, you know, whatever, but like uh, this film, it shows that, that human side of people. And it, it's really cool how they all drop their rifles and they're just, they're all wearing their gear and everything. They're all wearing the uniforms, but like, Hey, they're people. And yeah. they got that. And I did like the scene too where they, they're they disarming the like weapons they pick up off the ground. You know, they're yeah. all one round, yeah. which is funny. But, you know, because you can tell there's like one blank or something. But I still thought it was interesting. It's just like, oh, we're not just like, you know, we're going to disarm everything. You know, like we're totally at a truce. You're not going to have any situation where somebody could pick up a rifle and shoot someone. Like, no, we're, we're just we're just vibing. <laughs> right. And th- that's a problem <laughs> for the higher ups because, oh, yeah. they're not killing each other. Well, it's like to touch on what you said, Mike, you know, who dictates who the enemy is, you know, men or their governments, because, again, we have so much in common. That's what I hate about, you know, things today, not to make it bring it to now, but like people are so polarized for no fucking reason. If you sit down in a room and you agree to disagree and you work through conflicts and you're like, we have a different opinion, but we're both Americans or we're both whatever. Who cares? And we agree on 95 percent of the shit that we're talking about. Exactly. That's the thing is like we're we're, we're pretty fucking similar. And Mm -hmm. and that's the thing is like, um. It's this game, and unfortunately, it seems to be a very common pattern in human history. For one point, however many million years we've existed, it seems to be a very common pattern. And it's like, how, how do we break it if we can? Or are we just 
going to keep repeating that. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's funny. Like, and so, yeah, this film, like I can, I can forgive a lot of the like technical shit, whatever. Why straps on the Germans? No, even in <laughs> yeah, late I, war. I, was gonna ask I you, thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> what was it internal or something? They had an internal system? No, 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 no. So they, they actually didn't have... So the, the German kit all depends, A, on your belt buckle. That's it. Like, that thing. But, like, so the German kit at that point in World War II was dependent on the Tornister, the, the, the pack, right? Holding everything up. Well, if you're not in marching order, your Tornister is dropped wherever the fuck you're living... And you've got a lot of weight on these two ammo pouches and your e-tool and or your, uh, your, your entrenched tool, your shovel and your bayonet and all that shit. And it pulls down. So what the guys started doing in the first world war, again, adapting modern equipment is taking their bread bag strap and putting it over their neck and then putting it on their pouches. Okay. It, it distributes a little bit of the weight. Why straps? That was, a couple people in the First World War bought them custom made. Again, upper class. And it was not the norm. If you're going to see anything load bearing, it's going to be mainly the bread bag straps holding the ammo pouches up the belt. Um, why straps were a thing that was talked about and introduced, obviously, in the 30s, right? With the whatever. But no, they're not going to have leather Y straps like they did in this film, and a lot of other World War One German films do that. Hmm. No, mm-hmm. not going to happen. I, I've seen both of those done too. I've seen the exploding like fucking pouches falling down, and I've also seen the bread bag straps. But just to add on to that, for anybody that knows a little bit about German kit, like in the Second World War, the Canada Eight pouches are nice. They hold uh, thirty rounds, uh, three pockets of ten. In the First World War, they, there's three pockets of fifteen. For forty-five yep. rounds each, so it's it's yep. you have, what is it, thirty more rounds of or yeah, thirty more rounds of ammunition, and it's a lot heavier. It's heavy, so you yep. really do see, and the pouches are huge. The Finns use them in the Second World War, and you see, yep. yeah, big they are and stuff, and so you can only imagine, like, okay, nothing to hold it down. Blah. It's like you know, fucking, you, it's a lot of weight and not a lot to support it. There's a lot of you belts to tight, you you have to like tighten your belt up to like the point where it's uncomfortable, or you figure out something with like a bread bag strap or whatever. And it's like, good luck. Hey, I mean, not a surprise, you know, that kind of ingenuity comes into play, you know, with something like that. Option B. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Yep. Yep. But yeah, it's, um, it, so that, that was one thing that I noticed is like the Y straps. Uh, uh, nope. Um, how did the Brits look? The Scots, I should say. From, yeah. (laughs) We're not English, but it's Scottish. (laughs) I I like that line. Yeah. Well, that's very true. Um, there's a very big difference. Oh, but, like, um, you also are still in the UK's military. You always have been. So. <laughs> <laughs> what color of the know, flag Scott. is yours? <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, no, the Scots, uh, they were in the PO8 webbing. Um, I don't. Uh, that's not my area of expertise at all. They were in the Glengarry caps, which is, yeah, Scots wore those throughout the entire First World War, even though. They would have the Mark One or Mark Two Brodies, uh, like from seventeen on. They would still wear their Glengarrys. Uh, Winston Churchill was actually uh, put in command of a Scottish regiment, um, and he was he he wore an Adrian helmet that was gifted to him by a French general, 
Uh, but he wore that thing, and they were in a relatively quiet sector, even though there was still action going on once in a while. They have artillery, but he wore a, he wore the Adrian helmet, and then um, the Scots didn't like him because he was a British gentleman, right? But he he actually was a really he was a really good combat leader, uh, Winston, like because he said, okay, the thing that's like burdening you guys the most and like fucking with everybody, including himself, was lice, and he's like. I'm going to, I'm going to declare war on lice. And he actually like started getting like, they actually started eradicating the lice from the front lines. And the Scots were like, this guy's fucking stupid, but like, Hey, we're good. And he actually, um, Winston actually long story short, proved himself to be a good combat leader. And they allowed him, they, they uh, allowed him to wear the Glengarry. Hmm. And he's got photos wearing the Glengarry. You know, as as a Scot to 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 bestow that upon a British gentleman, you know, that's it takes a lot. But like Winston was good at what he did, and he was just fucking real. That's the thing is he was very real. And so, as far as the Scots, their attitude, yeah, it's concurrent with what I've read and researched. Um, they were like these supreme badasses, like everybody. Oh, the Irish Freedom! and the Scots, right? No, they were just good soldiers and. Uh, they had a lot of shit going on. So Glengarry's, um, at that point, I don't know if they were still wearing their um, their combat kilts. They Some units did that. Some units didn't. Some wore trousers, whatever. Yeah, I, I was so, going to touch on that. Before I forget, do you know what Churchill's first war was? The Boer War. The second yeah, Boer War. He went there as a war yeah. correspondent with a fucking uh, broom-handled Mauser. <laughs> yeah, a, exactly. He had a yeah. cone-hammered a broom-handled Mauser, and he got captured by the Boers uh, when they raided their train. But yeah, it's just, he's always been this crazy character that shows up in you know warfare, and it's like let's go. And so it doesn't surprise me that he got a very good combat record as being a leader of men. Well, it was after Gallipoli when he was he was sacked, one of the people yeah. that was blamed for that, mm-hmm. and they they were like, "You're going to go to the front, and you're going to be you're now a battalion commander. You're you're a lieutenant colonel, or as the, as the British say, a lieutenant colonel, um, and you're going to go and you're gonna, you're going to run this battalion of Scots." And yeah, it was it was about as shitty as you could imagine for him. Oh yeah, because like the Scots were like, "Fuck you, fuck yourself." And then twenty three years or however long it is, then he comes back, you know, into the Prime Minister of England and stuff. And then he's like, "Let's do Gallipoli again in Greece," and it fucking failed just as miserably in the Second World War as it did in the First World yeah. War. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah. He, I mean, the guy's keep not that man perfect. out of the Aegean. Whatever you do. Keep him out of that. Yeah, like, keep it's him not like, a good time. Uh, out of the fucking part of the world. Yeah. yeah. Uh, nope, not almost. a good time. But no, um, he he was um here's the thing is like we we could we should do an entire podcast on him and do a bunch of research because here's oh the thing that God. I respect about him is he was a real dude. He knew who the fuck he was and everybody else did around him. They knew who he was. There's this uh great series of books um by Richard Atkinson called Liberation Series, and it's all about um the war in Europe. And he's got three books, and, and uh, it's like he goes into amazing detail about how horrible, you know, the fighting in Europe was, the Mediterranean and everything. And you yeah. like you hear about like these really horrible events in North Africa, like you know, guys freezing to death because they don't have any overcoats, things like that. Yeah. And well, then Churchill, yeah. Churchill will show up in Iran for like the or the Tehran or the Iran conference and stuff, and then yep. they'll lose him because he got drunk because he was he always would wear this uh, big giant like coverall like to relax yeah. in. And, like, they literally lost the prime minister, like, all the time. 
Well, like, he drank. It, he drank. He drank lethal amounts of booze every day. Yeah, if you look at his schedule, it's like Hunter S. Thompson's. It's like how? Well, but yeah, people people have tried to keep up. Like they've actually yeah. done that. Like for a day, they're like, "Gee," but he drank. He drank yeah. scotch or soda, and yep. so it was diluted. But he was still getting fucked up. But like people that drink a lot, they're like, "All right, we're gonna try this out," and then they 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 do his like daily routine. They're like, "I'm." Like at the end of the day, they're they're like defeated. They're like, I'm really fucked up. I don't feel well. I don't know how the fuck this guy made decisions for the fucking well, world. They talk <laughs> about like he came up with the idea for Husky while he had a horrible migraine while he was mm. drinking at like three in the morning, and he called. He was in uh, Africa as well, and he called like Eisenhower in, and everybody dreaded the two a.m. Churchill war sessions. Because he'd be like, <laughs> right. "How are we gonna take Mussolini out of the war?" You know, and like. I'm like, why is Gandhi not dead yet? Or like all this crazy fucking shit that, you know, he would come up with at literally like one to three in the morning. And well, and that generation mm-hmm. of guys mm-hmm. were the ones fighting the First World War. Yep. He was one of the last Victorians. He, he, he lived through the First exactly, World War. Exactly, exactly. And he was still was able to, live, to at least, you know, show the, that lifestyle well, of the 1890s. Exactly. And the French mm-hmm. lieutenant was actually very well done because he was... Okay, everybody, especially Americans, like I'm guilty of it. We think of French as pompous asses, right? They're 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 French. Oh, they have their lifestyle. Whatever. No, in the First World War, they not getting into the macro politics of their upper leadership, which has always sucked militarily. Um, no, him as a French leader, he's pompous to an extent, but it's very controlled and it's very realistic, and he's like fuck, I know what's going to happen. You know, he, he he gets nervous. He fucking pukes, you know, like goes out in like when they're going to do the assault and he knows what's going on and he was portrayed very well. The Scott, the, uh, I think he was a um, first lieutenant or whatever. These guys Gordon. are like lower enlisted. Yeah, I think, what, what was he? Gordon, I think. That was his name. I didn't catch it. Yeah, but like I think he had two, uh, two, two diamonds, so he's a first lieutenant. I, I can't remember. So I'll just call him a lieutenant, right? And um, and also the German lieutenant, right? Mm-hmm. They're all very similar, and I love the fact that they actually um, show that when they're talking to each other. Like, they're all on the same level. Like, Yeah. That's one thing I wanted to say about this movie, was that I, this is one of the only kind of, one of the only movies where the French are not depicted in a slimy way in any right. kind of way because they're usually either they're they're in some way or another they're usually depicted as you know what cowardice or they're like backstabbing overzealous or, yeah. yeah overzealous they're like you know super uh pompous and shit but this guy like i said i think the french guy in this was my favorite character out of all of them. yeah no like i, I can see why yep. like mm-hmm. like in paths of glory where at the end of it he's like you've been after his job this whole time <laughs> he's like mm-hmm. you yeah know, yeah like why is there's always the machiavellian plot um the french have always get yeah just fucking the shit, you know, uh, they always get the short, the short end of the stick in every kind of representation of them. Legit. And just yeah. before I forget it, I just want to say something about Churchill, lastly. You know, so you'd mentioned the Americans view, you know, Europe or the continent, whatever, in a certain way. Well, it's interesting yep. because, you know, Churchill's mother was an American. So he had this very interesting look on Europe because he had some of her eccentricness. But he was also yes. you know, steeped in this Victorian class. So I think that's one of the reasons he stood out. Because his mother was, like, was a singer and stuff, and she was very popular in the states. And went over, and and he somebody even would refer to him as like, "Oh, our British American," 
Like, you know, because he had some well, he could also from see the, the bullshit. West. Like, he could see the, the European, yeah. the, the mm-hmm. bullshit. And it's like, mm-hmm. yes, even though he was a part of that, but he also knew how to navigate. And we, we yeah, I, I think we should do a separate podcast on our opinions of him because, and, and, and De Gaulle, we can, we can go on oh. with <sighs> these guys. <laughs> Fucking loser. Uh, but like, um, <laughs> I mean, not, not to, not to convey my opinion of Charles de Gaulle. Great, great There's leader. a film called Young Winston that we can talk about, which covers him during uh, the Boer War, I believe. So, or actually, no, oh, shit. we could do The Darkest Hour, which is a great movie. I love that movie. We can really get into I've not seen it. Thing. I've heard With it Gary was Oldman. good. Yeah. yeah. I, I liked it a lot. And that has to I haven't him, seen like, it. He, that's, he's in the bathtub half the time as well. Because it's Churchill, and it's May 1940, <laughs> yeah. and it's like yep. it's it's very well done. And actually, so yeah, we'll we'll come back. To so okay, yeah, we should Churchill. do that. Yeah, yeah, yep. sure. Circle back, but um, <laughs> yes. it, so this the last thing I think we should touch on before we start talking about guns, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and toward the end is how the government's dealt with these you know mutineers or whatever you want to call them. Like yeah. they, they touched on it in the film, like well, we'd court martial you and put you against the wall, but you can't do the two hundred men. You know, like it was just too big of a problem or, or too big of a mutiny, whatever you want to say it was, for them to really deal with. Like later yeah. on, the French army deals with a real hardcore mutiny of a communist mutiny in 1917 that, you know, they deal with those guys in a much different way. You know, like they make sure to kill the leaders and, and everything. But with this event, it's just interesting, you know, because it's the first real like mass, you know, uh, disobedience. Five of, months in. Know. Yeah, yep. just five months in. So, you know, they sure a little bit in the movie, but so. Like they, they did like move these guys around and stuff and, and, and just yep. you know, put them in different places. Was anybody actually like tried for anything like this or does it I don't know. Kind of swept under the rug. Okay. So I don't know. There's, there's probably one Belgian shoulder that went against the wall. But you know, like <laughs> I, 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 I honestly like my opinion like I don't think they knew what the fuck to do. None of them. Not the Germans, the 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 the, the, the uh, Brits you know, the Commonwealth, basically, and the, the French. I don't think they knew what to do at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not seen anything about people being tried, but, like, again, that's why I say I don't know, because it's, yeah, it, it, it's weird. It's a lot, a lot of the post, ex post facto, uh, <laughs> a lot of that shit was brushed underneath the rug permanently. Like, there, there's no way we can know because all the records possible that would make everybody look bad we're just didn't happen it's amazing that we even know that this happened you know well through the letters like you said you know which also i love that part of the movie i thought it was really cool how they a lot of them got scrubbed that's why i say it's amazing Mm -hmm. that we even know about this and there was like a couple guys that survived and corroborated all that shit and and again you can't take their um stories as fact because Again, either they're going to embellish, they're not going to remember correctly, or whatever. Like, it, it's just so whatever. But like, yeah, um, a lot of so yeah, a it, lot of times in history, um, you know, things are recorded like this due to guys getting wounded. There's a famous story mm-hmm. of you know, there's a Pan Am clipper that flew into Wake Island like a few days before the Second Battle of Wake Island, and they took some wounded Marines out with them. You know, and those were the guys that told the story of Wake, the real story of Wake, not the propaganda story and everything. You know. Yeah, because even there was there was a story where like they said that the last thing that the commander at Wake said was send me more Japs. Three years later, when they got him out of a POW camp in Tokyo, this reporter asked him, "Oh, why'd you say that?" And he goes, "I didn't say that shit. That was the last thing we were right, you know." And and (laughs) right, so that 
So, you know, maybe it was some guys that were wounded right after Christmas or during that period that then, you know, they yep. got through the censors and went home and they told this humanitarian story that grew up into a bigger picture, you know? Because, again, this is yep. early in the war. So many guys that stayed in the front didn't make it, you know? Even Correct. a few weeks, yep. a few months, whatever. So it's just fascinating how these, like, little granules of facts get out, you know, and and are persist. But a lot of them get shot down, too. So. Yep. Um. Cool. So uh, I think it's time to go look at some guns. Right, I I will. I'll pull it up. Um, I'm glad we're gonna look at this because there was. I swear, like the German machine gun in this was. There's something very wrong. wrong There's something. There's fuckery about. There's fuckery (laughs) about Michael. Yeah. I was like, okay, good. I was like, this. When I thought, I was like, that can't be right. (laughs) But it took me a while to realize that, though. So I'll give him that. I love the revolver. That was. I really like that touch. No rubies. No automatics for the French. You know, it's it's early. I know what Mike's going to talk about, but... <laughs> okay. No, it's like... I, I can... Here's the thing with French is I can say it. French sucks to spell. It's awful. It's so fucked up. But, um... As Brian says, Joix. Joix. Joix? No way. Joix Noel. <laughs> Bo. All right. Yeah, so we got the, uh... Yeah, Ooh, the yeah. Uh, Moss. 1892. Uh, these yep. are pretty interesting, too, because they were designed for cavalry troops. And that's why they open up to the right. You're supposed to uh, shoot it with your left hand and load it with your right, if I remember correctly. Yep. And then they realized, oh, it's actually a really good revolver. And then and it's a stupid design. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but they are great. But, and they share a lot of simulators of the 1895 Nagans. Yep, except for the gas seal. But, like, yeah, they... um. Mm-hmm. Well, again, like uh, we were talking about the other night, is like Leon Nagant was a Belgian firearm manufacturer. So, like mm-hmm. a lot of the influence of like that time period in the late eighteen or nineteenth century, um, you're gonna see that. So, yeah, they were that. brothers, and that's they eventually made a conglomerate that became FN as we know it today. But uh, oh, I didn't see the Lugers. That's interesting. He, yeah, when he's when he's recovering the weapons, he picks it up real yep. for oh, a second, interesting. Huh. clears yep. it. That would have definitely been there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, the Mark VI did not come out until 1915 in... So it would have been a Mark IV then. Probably, right? yeah. Yeah. The stuff of those ones. Also, he, they say... Yeah, so it's in a holster. They're assuming. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's the problem, is they're assuming... It's not a towel wrapped up to look like a revolver. <laughs> right. So, okay, yeah, this is fun. The Bertier oh, yes. 0715, mm-hmm. yeah. Now, the, the Bertier, there were two basically French rifles of the First World War. There was the Bertier 0715s and the Labelle 1886s or M93s, however you want to call it. The 1907 Bertiers, they were full-length rifles, but they were the Senegalese model, and they were for colonial troops. So seeing um, French line troops with without Labelles is totally wrong. So... Oh God! This so is the a o- whole episode in itself. Um, there was the O two. Um, no, the the, the Bertier the Bertier model started again as a cavalry yeah. weapon. Mm-hmm. The I was talking about the rifles. Yep. The, right. So the eighteen ninety carbine. Mm-hmm. Um, the three shot carbine was eighteen ninety. They had the eighteen ninety two, and the O seven. That was the rifle, and you're okay. Yes, you're correct because, a f- God damn, I wish we had Matt on here. He could tell us all about this. But like, 
from what I what I know is the 07 was kind of an experimental, like they were fucking around with that design. And then, yeah, they had the, like, so this, shit, this model right here is, well, actually, no, it's an 0715. So the Senegalese model was this rifle with the carbine, like, bent bolt. Yep. Right? And the 0715, they started producing them in 1915 to try to, let's see, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay, yeah, so it was like a stopgap thing. Yep, Massachusetts not, rifle for their Not army. widely used at all, even at the end. Like, that's why they gave the 368th and 369th the, uh, Harlem Hellfighters bare T8 rifles, because they were, like, reserve and, like, second and third line rifles. You know, that's why they gave them those. They didn't give them labels. Like, they got a couple, of course, but, like, they issued them these second and third line rifles because they were like, yeah, we don't like them and whatever. Um, so, yeah, in this film, not going to happen. I will say to this, though, they did have the early, the correct three shot ones. At least they didn't have the five round magazine ones you see later on. So well, I'll give them that. But. Again, the rifles, if they would have had an 1890 or an 1892 carbine, yeah, it would be more correct. But. Maybe, but these rifles, it's mm-hmm. not correct for this film at all. Yep. Not not one bit. Um, and just a random side bit that Nate can cut out. But, you know, Sean has a real Indochina that came back from Vietnam. It's fucking so cool. Yeah, you know, these things these things made around the world. They're good rifles, oh, yeah. but, like, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it's fucking funny. Okay, so it says here, blah, blah, blah. The appearance of this is an anachronism, yeah. In two ways. The first, the 0715 was introduced in early 15. Yep. It's killing the troops. The, the um, Senegalese guys in the French Foreign Legion. Uh, regular French infantrymen were not equipped with these rifles until 1916 due to the short. Yeah. So, okay, they got it. But, like, yeah. So, it's. That's one of those blue covers you were talking about, too. Yep. The blue covers for the Kepi. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. So, this, this rifle's not going to be in the fucking. That, that's unrealistic as shit. So. Uh, the number one Mark III, actually, okay. Oh. So, the number one Mark III star came out in 1916. They took away the volley sight and all that happy horse shit, and that's what you see the number one Mark III as. Uh, these guys would have had volley sights and all that shit that would have had number one Mark III's. They just have straight threes. That's not the biggest in the world. No, it's not, but like... Um, yeah, these At are least all they're not stars. floating charger bridges or Lee Medfords, so I'll give them that. Right, but like, yeah, they they, they got the number one Mark III. That's fine, but like, um, little technical shit. Yeah. Okay, Those so let's see. Let's see what they wrote here. Today. I mean, <laughs> I should actually probably read what they write because they're probably just um, Scottish shoulder. Okay. Yes. Fuck. All right. It's validating my own ranting too. So, yeah. So the star is nineteen. Well, late 15. All right. Um, Great rifles at the time, too. Yeah, not bad. First real time the number threes were used. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, The action was perfected in in the Boer War, but it was really, you know. Yeah, the Lee Metford and the Lee Enfield. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, Yeah, they give her a 98. I wanted to play with my G98 when I watched this because it's been a while and I forgot how much I like them. They're great rifles, yes. even though they're fucking, you know, spears. There were a bunch of Germans that had a Mauser long rifle, but 
was it a great 98 um i yeah they don't have pictures here, so i think like, the next well the next one is a different type of oh the 98 22 yeah okay yeah there you go you're correct thanks mike mm-hmm. um yeah so oh yeah flat 22. tangent sites you're right yeah probably the best long mauser rifle besides the um persian 9829 but yeah so the 98 i used mm. to have one of those fucking awesome rifles but yeah, these definitely are. The K8B. Yep. Huh. Didn't even notice yes. That. Okay. This is what you were talking yeah, about. This, the, yeah. This. Yeah. I was like, when it showed the handle, I'm like, what the fuck is that? Yep. I was like, that's a that's a fucking 240. <laughs> fucking fire. I was surprised. They, they they didn't do the worst job of it, but they from one angle it was that, bad, dude. It, it like, was oh, bad. That is a fucking first for me. I've never seen them mock up. You yeah, know, I've right seen here. the mock up things like. Uh, yeah, that you know, was other, bad when you saw it yeah. rear. I've seen them mock up other guns like from the time period to look like certain ones, but never a fucking like you know, a that, modern yeah, machine gun. Yeah, it was it was really that bad. first sequence though. I mean, it's hard to tell. I mean, now I see it that there's a gap and everything, but like oh you know, this fucker. No, no, no. Well, I mean, from the rear, but in the first combat sequence where they, you see the water jacket, I can't. It was yeah, so of quick, course, I couldn't of tell. course. So well, they did but a good still, job like, early on, but yeah. the barrel is right in the middle of the water jacket, which is it should be on the. Well, and that's the thing is like they were trying to make it look like an 0815, which again would be very early, like this. Mm-hmm. No, no go. Mm-hmm. They're gonna be using a, a fucking 08. Like yeah. it's yep. it, it is what it is. But um, <laughs> what I it's when so I, bad. When I saw this, I'm like, that is a 240 yep. grip. Oh, that's a fucking receiver <laughs> yeah. of a 240 or a Mag 58. Oh, the butt stock. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah this, that's this, a first. The yeah. stock is what caught me, and I was like, "Oh, okay." But that yeah. funny though. When you see the left side of it, though, in that that second shot, it's not that bad. It's really hard. No, the one above that one. Oh yeah, hold on. The one that has uh, like the, the same. If it was well, that no, really it's quickly, bad because be then hard. we it's trying to be an 08 15, and it's like this is late nineteen fourteen. Like, I, oh, you know, with, I the, with the bipod, oh, you know what I mean? I yeah, it didn't exist at the time. I got no. you. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah, but <laughs> we're, we're trying to make it something things. that was later and. If this shot, just, if it, if they had a fifteen, it would look like a great prop fifteen. I'll say that. But they, it's wrong regardless. So correct. Right. Yes. MG8, yeah. For the year, so. if it was like a fifteen or on film, like okay, I can believe it, it that. It wasn't like a PKM with an MG thirty four barrel shot like you see in every no, no. Soviet film. So it was just that's it, right. Yeah, it was one of those things that got fucked up. Yeah. Really bad. Um. So a Vickers Mark One. All right. Yeah. I didn't notice that. I don't oh, right think there. it's used at all. Right there. Just looking through that's it. Cool. Yep. But yeah, they would have had those. The Hotchkiss 14. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah. It might be a little early because they were just starting to buy them and everything. That, that's what I mean. Like, what was the other it, one? The St. Methole? No, that's the tank. What's what's the other 1907 machine gun they want to pay royalties for? It's like a Hotchkiss, but it, the piston goes the other way. Um, I forget what it's called. It's well, the real. 14 was... Like one of the most popular. Yeah, but what's but they started buying them fourteen. But what was the other one that they that they had? Um, the other machine gun in the First World War. Um, the French. Yeah, it's it's the competitor to the Hotchkiss that they bought because they didn't want to pay Hotchkiss for his royalty fees. I actually don't know off the top of my head. Huh. Uh, it's called the Saint uh, Etienne. Yeah, Saint-Étienne is is a, it's like saying Springfield or Winchester. Yeah, but what? Oh, nineteen o seven. Um, so the Saint-Étienne, nineteen o seven. Yeah, that was what happened. Was that they wanted to buy the guns from Hotchkiss, but Hotchkiss 
wanted too much money for them. So they just they designed the, the gun in a different way where the gas system goes forward instead of to the back. And then the mm-hmm. war started, and they're like, oh, fuck, and they just bought Hotchkisses. But the, the St. Etienne 1907 was a machine gun made by the state arsenals for the French military. Um, and they were very common. I think that's what actually been more common at this point than the, um, the, the 14 Hotchkiss. But, huh. Yeah, could be, for sure. So, uh, do I know something about World War One that you don't? I'll put yeah. it in the scuttlebutt chat. Chalk it up, yeah, chalk it up, and hey, enjoy yeah. it. Broken enjoy the, twice. Enjoy the feeling, so. you fucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I just have a, I'm a francophile, so sorry, but I put it in the scuttlebutt. Yeah, no, 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 it's, it, it's, like. to, it's totally mm-hmm. like okay. So you're putting that in the yeah. yeah. They're very similar, and yeah, I yeah, think... yeah, it was just it just comes down to a different gas yeah. system, and they didn't want to pay Hotchkiss for it, so they. It's because I'm. I love mechanical ways firearms work. It's the only gas system that, that pushes forward to reciprocate the bolt backwards, which is it's uses this amazing camming like clock wheel. It's it, it's really crazy. It's like a, the G forty one of the French army. Um, yeah, and yeah, then they're like, easy. "Hey, we got that money for uh, defense fund. How's it going, Mister Hotchkiss?" So, you know, is yeah, uh, they, yeah, they use a bunch of those. Like they didn't have like a, a Maxim, you know, style machine no. gun. Which like the Vickers and whatever was like, you know, designed do you, on. So like, do you, do you know the reason why they didn't want to go for water cooled? Uh huh. North Africa, where the fuck are you going to find water in the desert for the colonial wars? So they wanted an air cooled machine gun. That was the idea. <laughs> yeah. These so. big heavy fucking things. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> yep. So that was the idea. All right. So the Citroen. Uh, oh, the model nineteen sixteen. I know we've talked about these in the past and like how unreliable they were and stuff. And well, yeah, they had the uh, the uh, uh, impact or the what the fuck the percussion. I don't know. You take yeah. the cap off and you pound it on something and it starts the fucking reaction. Like um, the Japanese grenades of the Second World War. But yeah, it's 1916 now. It's way too fucking early again in this film. <laughs> yeah, I like how they mentioned that. In so hand grenades actually um, in 1914, hand grenades were not a big thing. Um, they were, they had like the old school, like light it with a fuse and like throw it. They had those, but like hand grenades really started to become a thing in 15 again. Like we're talking about. When did the Mills bomb come out? 15. Interesting. Cause that's, that was like the standard of grenades for a long. Yeah. The yeah. number, well, they had the number one, the, the number five is the most, um, common oh, I didn't know one. they had different iterations. Oh God. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, Grenade! Oh Jesus Christ! There's people that like specialize in World War One grenades. Ordnance collectors are insane. Oh my god, dude! But like they, yeah. they, 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 you have to like specialize in that. There's so fucking many, and they're mm-hmm. so intricate, and like it was all experimental. And like again, it was just fucking insane. But like, um, so like the Germans, their their stick grenades, their first like actual like universally adopted one came out in '15, and it had a fucked up like the 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 the, the fuse like the, the to prime it and everything was a pin on the bottom of the stick and it would get caught on shit just like the f1 uh grenade like this you see like with the fucking mm-hmm. fuse like you drop it or whatever it, it would it would fucking start firing and it's just stupid and like by 1917 though grenades were really kind of getting more refined like they are today so on point the one thing I don't understand is why they got rid of the clip on the the stall or the uh, the German stick grenades between the First World War and the Second World War. Yeah, I've thought about that. Idea. Well, it's 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 added fucking weight. It's um it gets caught on shit. 
And they're like, well, we can just tuck it in our belt. True. Bandoliers, too. Of, you see Germans in the first world with bandoliers, and then it's not a thing in the Second World War. Well, you know? the paratroopers had them, but yeah, you're right. Like, well, the infantry yeah. guys didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what you're saying. It was like, yeah, they, they went away from bandoliers. Because it's funny to watch, like, West Front 1918, and, like, the guys all have bandoliers, yep. and they look cool Yeah, over the, over the shoulder. And yep. then, then it's like, you know... 1945 Germany, they're like, oh, where's the box of ammunition? The cardboard box of ammunition. Like, It's like, maybe you should make a cloth thing with pockets like the rest of the world has had and your army had 20 years ago, but it's right. just interesting. That, I don't yeah, know why that, they moved away from that. That's a fun subject. Like, why did they stop using bandoliers? Well, yeah, it was all battle packs, you know? like you had It was a, Ger- it was a German specifically because of the Brits and the U.S. and the Canadians and all that. They still mm-hmm. use bandoliers. Well, yeah, well, Michael asked that question uh, in the D-Day episode, and he asked if Brits had bandoliers. And it's like, yeah, they had the one pouch with two bandoliers, you know, and you'd take your ammo out slowly, and then... Well, the Brits also had bandolier bandoliers. Like, they yeah. would wear them. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's and, all part um, of the doctrine. And, I mean, the U.S. fucking wore bandoliers through the first Gulf War. Actually, through Iraq. Yep. You got the battle like, packs and everything. Reload yeah, like, stuff. Yeah, we, we would we, we would get our ammo in bandoliers mm-hmm. on on, yep. on clips and everything. It's like, and then you just throw magazines in there. Like in Vietnam, you could throw the twenty rounders in there. Like you can't do that with the thirty rounders. But like, um, yeah, yeah. So it's like, why did Germany just decide? Oh, we got our little pouches that we reduce the number of rounds and and, and chargers that we have in our pouches. We don't need bandoliers. Cause it's like the Americans in the in the Commonwealth. They use their bandoliers first before they use their pouches. So I guess the, the first prerequisite of Blitzkrieg warfare is you have to get rid of cloth bandoliers. <laughs> then you can unlock, you know, mechanized warfare. <laughs> so maybe we're the idiots, but it's, it yeah. is very interesting. Why did it, why did this thing well, it is interesting, utilitarian yeah. go away? You know? That's not one of these nerd conversations, you know, like it's like, mm-hmm. that's a good point. Like why the fuck did they not use bandoliers when everybody else was? Well, so, um, Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. Okay. I was just saying a joke and, and did. Okay. Whatever. One thing I was just thinking because we brought up earlier um, the tornister um, and yeah. all that, uh, and one thing I've just for recently thought about because uh, did d- Germans have those at all in World War II? Yeah. Okay, because I have seen. Early yeah. War, yeah. Oh yeah. Because yep. I've seen some depictions where they do have them. Um, well, and bandoliers are actually part of your required packing for the tornister, like in inside okay. the tornister. Yeah. Okay. But like it seems like it's usually a World War One thing, and like, and I'm like, why? It just seems like so much better to have that rather than your fucking bread bag and your shit and all that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. The German doctrine changed a little bit. The coolest thing about the Tornister is the fact that it's your pillow. That's why it's mm. like fucking lined with horsehair. Like it's awesome. Oh, okay. And uh, but they moved away from that, and then they adopted like your classic rucks that would go on your Y straps that were horrible. Like if you ever worn them, the all A the way frame to the bottom. Well, they had the A frame, which is a piece of shit. Yeah, and no, they also they had, the had later a rock that too. was just they had rucks that would attach, and like all it does is you see guys like or a lot of POWs wear them because they have their, all their you know all their clothes in them at the end of the war, and they just like sit all the way back. It just destroys mm. your lower back, and it's just Damn. really painful. And yeah, the Y straps are great by themselves, but when you attach it, something to it, it's just horrible. You know, it's okay. like you really tornisters are a really good backpack, but it's not a good support system, and Y straps are a really good support system, but not a good backpack. You know, so it's it's this going back and forth. If you notice, no other army after the war adopted something that goes onto your Y-straps or your LBE. It's always a rucksack and your LBE, you know, so. Okay. You know, but, um, and I was just going to make the joke. 
If you happen to know the, the answer to the Waffenfarb question and why the Germans happen to get rid of bandoliers, please send a letter to. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of mysteries come up in this. History's yeah. mysteries, you know? Yeah, yeah it's just weird. Um... And it usually happens because guys didn't write shit down. Like, you know, why the fuck would I write that down? I want to talk to my loved one or this, that, the other thing. Yeah. <laughs> right, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, it's so trivial. It's just inconsequential. Like, why the fuck? What is a bandolier? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why the again, fuck would I care, you know? And this is so far out there. We'll bring it back to the first war in a second. But, like, you know, I always laugh at reenactors that try to go spend a night in kit and they fail horribly. They and can't. They <laughs> and they don't know why. And it's because they don't know the tricks of the trade. Like, if you read memoirs, you see that they had to deal with the suck as well. They had to deal with the cold and everything. And my favorite one ever is that, so, in your gas mask bags during the war, there was something called a gas sheet bag, which is basically the idea was is that if there was chemicals in the air, you'd put your gas mask on, you'd take this big giant, basically like a plastic yep. tarp, and put it over you, and you would be protected. Well, it didn't take fucking rocket scientists to realize you could line a foxhole with that. So yeah. that's what guys would do. So you have all these reenactors that go out there, they don't wear the white socks, they don't take care of their feet, and their feet freeze because they try to sleep overnight, and they have to leave events early and stuff. And it's like, that happened to them, and then they did these things that got them through the night, that got them to tomorrow, that made their life easier. Because there's a million different tricks, that, you know, living in the woods. You talk to anybody that's like a backpacker or a hiker and stuff, they have their system that works. Well, so did the GIs, you know, or whatever army. Just putting on the uniform of the era and saying, I'm a soldier, and not knowing any of the tricks of the trade... You're just like a fucking stupid replacement in 1944 or 45. You yeah. know, you're going to fuck yourself up because you don't know what you're doing. So yeah. it's just really interesting, these things that, you know, somehow get recorded and we learn about how they dealt with this stuff. Because if not, if nobody writes down the fact that, oh, yeah, that plastic sheet in your bag that you're never going to use for any other reason than to line your foxhole is great for this reason. Well, if that's not talked about, then that's lost, you know, and here we are wondering like all these mysteries about Romans, you know, and stuff like we don't know what the Roman tunic color was because nobody wrote it down. You know, there's paintings right. on like Trajan's column where it's like, look, it might be red, but is that a parade or is that warfare? You know, so it's these things that are just lost. Um, and that's just, you know, history's mysteries. I was even talking to somebody the other day. This guy is a Civil War reenactor and, and he's starting to get into World War Two. And he's like, I don't understand why we don't know so much shit about things that happened 80 years ago. And it's like, because nobody wrote it down. You know, it's, it's not what was at stake at the time. Yeah, you know, nobody cares about stupid shit. But when you're a real historian and you find a stupid little line, you're like, "Oh my god, that makes so much sense." Was that you, know, you or was that was somebody else? Like, um, you're like, or they were like, um, "Hey, who made your fucking IOTV in Iraq?" And I'm like, "That that's my joke. That's always yeah. my joke for, for people like, that I don't are fucking like, fucking no." Yeah. So basically, you know, everybody's like, "Oh, we know everything about this, that, and the other thing." So I like to ask veterans. I'm like. Who made your canteen cover when you right. were in Iraq or Afghanistan? Who the fuck knows? Well, the, the, Uncle Sam gave it to me. You wore it every day. Are you telling me that you put something on your body for a year and you don't know who made it? Wow. Correct. You're a good soldier. And yep. it's just a joke because it's like, you don't yeah, fucking exactly. know. Yeah, exactly. The army that, that, gave it to me. That's the way it is. You know? like, it's like, yeah, yeah. You, have to, you have to, I don't know. It's And here's the thing is, I was into that shit. Exactly, you know, like, yeah. I was into that yeah. shit and I still don't fucking, yeah, if, if the if the world's fate relied on who made my OTV, like the contract and all that, I looked at the tag. It was made in two thousand eight. I know that, but like, oh, wow. But like, you, you, tell me the NSN number, motherfucker. Uh, one zero zero <laughs> something, because that's what most of them start out with. But um, <laughs> um, but no, it's like, yeah, I, I couldn't fucking tell you. Like, it didn't matter because it was like, okay, it's a fucking piece of gear that I have to just carry, like yeah. a fucking 
and one uh, 1923 cartridge belt. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, so who made your cartridge belt? I don't fucking know. Right? <laughs> I've worn you know, it. Why would I give broken, a shit? I got a new one. Yeah. Exactly. It's a, <coughs> right. It's a utilitarian item. And that's right. why it's just so funny, you know? It's like, how do you really look at history? Like, you know, who made the uh, oil filter on your car that you replaced two years ago? You know, it's just, I don't know. I got Jokes on you, part. bitch. I don't replace that thing. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> two engines seized. <laughs> but, um, yeah. yeah, you know, it's just it's interesting, you know, how these things get lost to history and, and how it takes so much effort to figure it out, you know? Yeah. So maybe one day we'll have an answer why they got rid of bandoliers. And I'd be very interested to know that. So we should circle back, and I think we should give our ratings. We've done IMFDB. I think we're at the end of it, yeah. So. Yeah. Well. Uh... Okay. Um, closing thoughts, like I say, I think it's a good, solid movie. I recommend it to anybody. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I like their – even, like, stuff that we're talking about that is very, you know uh, – uh, far-fetched such as the wife coming to the to, yeah. to the the line and everything like that even though that's that's very far-fetched and and whatnot i still think within the story within the narrative it works um everything i thought worked really well in terms of what they were trying to depict or and what they were trying to say about this event so um i'm gonna give it a eight out of ten it tried very hard and i appreciate that and it didn't overly try and it's um yeah, like you were saying earlier, like the acting is really good. The writing is actually not terrible. There's some things where I'm just like, nah. Uh, but like, whatever that happens at literally every film you watch. Um, yeah, as far as like getting this event out there that did happen, whether it's more or less than what they portrayed on the film, who knows? But as long as, uh, you know, you get people to like, kind of realize that, yeah, this did happen. And these were real people that experienced this. I like that a lot. And, um, yeah, as far as entertainment factor, I honest to God, like the whole thing was like, just kind of okay. Like the whole thing, like it wasn't really great as far as like the cinematography, the, just the overall like vibe of watching this. It wasn't super great. It wasn't shitty. It was just kind of like a very solid, like in the middle, if that makes sense. Like it wasn't, yeah, it, it was just like, okay, cool. Um, but yeah, uh, I'll try and stay on track. I'm thinking about bandoliers right now. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, like I, I'm, I'm just like, it's like in the middle of the night, you know, your, your, your brain is putting mm-hmm. you to sleep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you're like, all right, fuck off. Good, good night. Yep. Good night, brain. And all of a sudden he goes, why didn't Tarzan have a beard? And you're like, fuck, <laughs> what? God. And now you what? can't you know, sleep. Yeah. Like just dumb shit like that. But, um, so as far as the entertainment value and again, getting people to recognize that this thing happened, um, with all the shortcomings, the little things, whatever, I'm gonna give it a seven out of 10. So it's, yeah, not bad at all. It's, it's worth the watch. They could have done so much better, but that's also my opinion. That's not like, and I know how hard it is to make a fucking film. Like it takes a lot of work and like they, they put a lot of work into this. You could tell. And so I can't gig on it too bad. So seven out of 10. Yep. Yeah. You know, to build on your points, 
I felt a bad time trying to really overanalyze this movie because again, it just it does what it sets out to do. Yep. You know, it, it's not like um, the Thin Red Line where it's like you know super duper cinematic and you know misunderstood or whatever the fuck that movie is. But it's <laughs> it's also not like you know. Let's really try sh- to be deep here. <laughs> and why are we trying to be deep? Why do I sound like Doctor Phil? Oh wait, we're we're making a war movie here. Carry on. I'm going to stare at things and they're going to talk. <laughs> Who's doing this? <laughs> Am I a man? <laughs> is this what it is? <laughs> is it reality? And we go back to Brian now because I rudely interrupted him with some deep thoughts. That might Carry be a little on. bit of foreshadow to hey, anybody listening. So you may think that's funny, but like that's not an exaggeration of the thin red. No, line. it's not. It's like it's like why the fuck? Pick one. Make it yeah. a deep film, but yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm not gonna get on that rant, Brian. I, I really interrupted you with some deep thoughts. Deep thoughts. Well, deep, see now deep, now deep thoughts here. now I'm thinking like about bandoliers myself. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's infectious. It's, it's, it's how I roll. It's it's <laughs> contagious. It's not good. It's fucked. It's in the air. Thank you, Mr. Leahy. All right. but, My um, bad, dude. My bad, dude. I'm no sorry. worries. But no, it's um, yeah, it's a very, it's a movie. That's like, <laughs> like no, no, that, I, I agree, and I know. Yep, it's, I know what you mean too. Yeah, which is funny. It's, it's a movie, you know, and yeah. watch it, like. It's in my opinion, it's it's the best Christmas war movie if there can be that, you know, like out there, and it 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 goes out there to tell a story and it delivers, and yeah, you know, you walk away with something. If it's not like oh, you know, cool French uniforms, it's like wow, this is amazing how people can you know overcome their differences in in a crisis, you know, in, in a situation that nobody wants to be in, and the film just has so many scenes like that. Like again, one of my favorite scenes is where uh, the wife shows up at the the manor or whatever, and she goes to ask about where her husband is, and they don't speak German, and she has to speak French. You know, it's like the little things like that that really put this movie in that time frame of late nineteen fourteen, early nineteen fifteen, and, and just get that psyche of you know occupation, dealing with places you don't want to be, because really nobody in this film wants to be where they are. They all want to be home with their families. You know, not in this horrible situation. That they have no idea is about to get way worse for three years, you know, or four years actually. So, it's just it's a very good movie. You know, that being said, I would give it an eight out of ten. The only reason I would give it a little bit less is that personally, I'd have done things a little differently, you know. But that's just me being a filmmaker. But it's a really it's a good film, you know. It's really worth a watch, (laughs) and it's gonna get you interested in something, or you're gonna figure something out with it. So. Putting all of our scores into the computer that will tell us when the German High Command will break through the Western Front, we get a seven point six out of ten. So again, right. not bad. you know, it's it's worth watching. You know, as yep. far as uh, uh, Christmas war movies go, it's way the fuck better than a Midnight Clear, if you know about that. Oh yeah, or uh, what's the one with David Bowie uh, from the eighties? A David Bowie war movie. It's a David Bowie war movie in Burma, uh, where he's. Uh, oh, I, I know about that. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot. All, yeah, I, I forgot what it's called, but I know about that now. Now that you mention it, oh yeah, boy! Like uh, sometimes I forget that called... David Bowie was also an actor. <laughs> yes, for like a little bit of time. In the a little 80s. bit, in a little bit in the eighties. Yeah. Merry Christmas, Mister Lawrence. 
you know, that's the that's the one with David Bowie. But yeah, this is like the best, you know, World War One. Um, or no, sorry, this is the best, you know, Christmas War film, and it's really worth your time. So, yeah. well, um, to sum it up, guys, thank you so much for joining us for another episode. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, you know, whatever your denomination, whatever you celebrate. We hope that you enjoy this time. Happy New Year, and um, just to say this, you know, we've had 31 episodes this year. Um, we've had a lot of fun doing this, you know, and we really look forward to doing this into the next year. We hope that you guys have enjoyed the ride. And, um, you know, we have some cool stuff coming down the pipeline, which we hope that you'll enjoy. And uh, we hope that you uh, join us next year for some really cool reviews, cool experiences. Maybe we'll figure out why the Germans got rid of bandoliers. You know, there's mysteries to be solved here. And um, thank you so much for anybody that's been listening for us. You know, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. So Yes. Joyeux Noël. Merry Christmas. Noel. Joyeux Noël. Joyeux Noël, everybody. By the way, this, this screen that I have, like on uh, IMFTB, that grenade mm-hmm. looks like a giant ball sack. It does, yeah. It's like a and rusty old like, nut sack. Rusty Very old. Rusty. Santa's old rusty nuts. You know? Rusty old fucking sex toy. Just rusty like Nathan's nuts. old old nuts are freezing off. He's going to go over Tajikistan right now. So, you know. <laughs> Turkmenistan. Come on. Stanistans, you know. Hopefully, uh, yeah. Hopefully the Air Force doesn't shoot them down. Those old MiGs, you know, they got some tricks. So <laughs> There's some good food over in the stands, though. Very true. So, Very true. Anyway, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and Joyeux see you Noël. later. Joyeux Noël, everybody. Joyeux Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a rating. Otherwise, Mel Gibson won't stop screaming. If you like this content... Make sure to check out our Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram pages. If you want to directly support our work, make sure to check out our Patreon. All these links are in the description below. Until the next time, Scuttlebutt out. It's like in the middle of the night, you know, your 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 brain is putting mm-hmm. you to sleep. Yep. And you're like, all right, fuck off. Good good night. Yep, good night, brain. And all of a sudden it goes, Why didn't Tarzan have a beard? And you're like, <laughs> Fuck! What? And now you can't sleep. Holy fucking shit. Where's the money, Lebowski?